going through the Song of Solomon, written by, of course, Solomon. And so for the last six weeks, we've been looking about what does relationship love look like? What does it look like in marriage? What does it look like in friendships? Solomon understood because he had many relationships, some that were good, many that were bad. But he fully embraced life. He fully took life and he tried to suck every lesson he could get out of it. And then he also wrote about it so that you and I would get to know it. So Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon and Solomon also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Next week we're going to start in the study of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is another book about wisdom and about how to find true satisfaction in life. And I know for myself, I'm still searching for that. And so as I go through the book of Ecclesiastes, I'm learning things for myself. But today we have sort of a bridge message. We have a message of, from Proverbs and also from the book of Second Chronicles. It's a part of the Bible that teaches us about how Solomon knew how to get what was really important in life. We all want to get things in life. Um, before we get to Christmas, we need to understand Thanksgiving. We need to understand what God has already given to us. We need to be grateful for what we have so that we don't always want to get. But we live in a gotta-get-it world. We live in a world where we're always told that we have to get something. And, and when I grow up, you know, as you have a family, your parents want you to, to get what? A, get a good education. Why? So that you can get a good job. But you're not going to get a good job unless you get good grades. So you've got to get up in the morning, right? And then you've got to get going, right? And if you aren't going, then you might get lost. Of course, we might say that to somebody we don't like as well. Get lost. And to those people who don't seem to get it, we'll say, why don't you get a life? And to those people who annoy us, we say, get over it. We use the word get a lot. And so did Solomon. And he used it over and over and over again. But he knew what to get. He knew what was so important for us to seek to acquire. And Solomon, if he were here today, he would just say it clearly. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. That's the lesson today. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just say, get wisdom. So if you go home today and that's all that you remember, okay, then, then I failed, all right? Um, because, you know, just saying get wisdom, it sounds good, right? But it's not enough. We have to not only get wisdom, but we'll see that we also have to get understanding. And we have to get knowledge. And we do have to get going. So let's get going in today's message. And let's read together Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. They'll be up here on the screen, but they're also um, on your outline. So if you open up your outline to Proverbs 4, 5 through 7, and also it includes chapter 16, verse 16, the words of Solomon. Let's read it out loud together. Get wisdom. 
Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forget, forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. So Solomon says, get wisdom. But how? How do I get wisdom? Where can it be found? We find this in Solomon's story about how he got wisdom. And we find it in the book of 2 Chronicles. We also find it in the book of 1 Kings. And so we're going to look at this story, this true story of what happened to Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And then at the end, we'll go to 1 Kings to see how the story ended. But let's begin with 2 Chronicles chapter 1, and I'll read it, verses 1, 2, 3, and 6. You can follow along. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom. For the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in Israel, the heads of families. And Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Solomon is king. He is now taking over the reins of all of Israel from his father, the greatest king of Israel, King David. And he begins by knowing that though God has given him this great assignment, he needs to worship God. And so the first act that we see Solomon doing as king is to lead his people to worship. And for those of us who want wisdom, this is how it begins. It begins with worship and fear of God. Worship and the fear of God. Now, worship was something that all of us can understand. When we come here today, we say, I'm coming to worship. Sometimes we accumulate ideas that aren't quite biblical. Um, for example, sometimes we think that just singing is worship. You know? So when we're singing, we're worshiping. Well, it's part of worship, but it's much more than just that. Actually, worship is everything that a Christian does in light of God. We should live a life of worship. And so Solomon is leading his people to worship God. He is showing us what it means. So he takes all of his leaders to Gibeon. Now we have a map here of, of Gibeon. You can see it. It's just above Jerusalem. It's about six miles northeast of Jerusalem. Okay? And so Solomon is living in Jerusalem, but the temple isn't built. Why isn't the temple built yet? Because Solomon's going to build the temple, right? But there's no temple, but there is a place of worship. And the place of worship for the Jews prior to the temple was the tabernacle. Moses had built the tabernacle in the desert so that as the people were going through the desert, they would have a place of worship. That tabernacle ended up in the city of Gibeon. And it remained to be a major center of worship. 
And so even though the king lived in Jerusalem, and we'll see that David lived in Jerusalem, so David took the Ark of the Covenant, sort of the centerpiece of the temple, and he took that, and that was in Jerusalem. Okay? But the rest of the tabernacle, where the people would go to worship and follow the laws of Israel, that would be in Gibeon. And so Solomon understood this. And so he takes all of his leaders, he takes his commanders, he takes the families, and he leads them to a place called the Tent of Meeting, where they would meet with God, just as Moses did. And then Solomon offered a sacrifice there, and that is worship. It is when we offer our sacrifice to God. It says that Solomon offered a thousand sacrifices there, right? And it wasn't because, like, you know, like he wasn't like the typical man, you know, he didn't just like fire, all right? But he loved God. And he wanted to offer to God this sacrifice a thousand times as an example to the people that they must worship God. And it's at this place of worship, okay, that Solomon is going to receive this amazing offer from God. But Solomon also knew. And Solomon also understood that worship also comes with a fear of God. Proverbs 9, verse 10, and you have it there in your outline. And it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fear here is a reverence and awe, but it's also in light of love and trust. This fear is not just a feeling, though it is at times a feeling, we feel afraid, but it's more than that, it's also an action. So Solomon is beginning to understand as king that to worship God, to fear God, means to sacrifice to God. We give to God, we offer ourselves to him. Solomon says it's the beginning. It's the very beginning of wisdom. And for all of us, every day, the beginning of wisdom is by offering ourselves to God for that day. It is a worship of giving of our lives. It is the beginning of the day, and it is the beginning of finding wisdom, even as we fear God. I was talking to a brother once, and he travels a lot okay, around the world. And, um, and so we were talking about purity, and about how important it is to stay pure with all the temptations out there in the world. And so I asked him, you know, how do you stay pure when you travel around the world and you're away from your wife and you're away from your family? And he says, what keeps me pure is the fear of the consequences of what would happen if I don't obey what God teaches me. He goes, I know what I'm going to pay. I know what's going to happen if I don't obey God's laws. And I'm so afraid of what would happen there to my soul, to my life, to my family. I'm so fearful that I won't do it. Okay? That's part of this fear that Solomon had. It was the beginning of wisdom. It was the foundation, the guiding principle of wisdom. He feared God because he loved God and because he wanted to sacrifice his whole life to God. It is the beginning. It is how we start. And there is an ultimate wisdom. 
There is a supreme wisdom that God's given to us, personified wisdom. And his name is not Solomon. The New Testament tells us that there's one who is greater than Solomon who is here right now. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the personification of wisdom. Solomon's words are all pointing to Jesus and to the coming of the Messiah. Jesus worshipped God. And Jesus feared God. Do you believe me? That we can see, I think, that Jesus worshipped God. I think we would all agree to that. But can you also see that Jesus might fear God? And in this understanding of reverence and awe and sacrifice, we have a context to understand it. And so here, we turn to Luke chapter 22, verse 42. And it's also up there on the screen, but you can turn in your Bible. to so Luke twenty-two forty-two, And there it says, Father... If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now this is when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. This is when he realizes he fully understands as a human being what's going to happen to his body. He's going to be nailed to the cross. But he also understands in his spirit that he is going to bear the sins of you and me. Every sin that you have ever done, every sin that I have ever done, Jesus is going to bear the consequences of. He knows that he's going to bear a separation from God. He understands that that's what sin does. It separates us from God. And he's not just going to bear his, on his body one person's sins, but all of humanity's sins, yours and mine. And that causes him to fear in his flesh. But he fears God even more. And he says, God, I worship you. And I will sacrifice to you. I fear you. I worship you more than the circumstances that might cause me to not do those things. And so, God, I will continue to go on. I will find my way to the cross in obedience to you. I will worship you. And I will fear you. And so Solomon understood that. And Jesus personifies it for us. But Solomon also understands what Jesus also did. And that was that Jesus said, I am humble in heart. And Solomon was humble in heart as he began his rule. And so we look at Second Chronicles. We go back there to chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. And you have it there in your outlines. Um, Second Chronicles, chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Would you read them with me? Let's read them together. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? When we want wisdom, we humble ourselves before God. The people who gain wisdom are those who humble themselves before God, as Solomon did. Now, this is in a dream. But Solomon's will is fully being performed and acted out here. 
He is conscious within his dream of what he is doing. And you and I can also get humility just as we can get wisdom. And we can get humility by acknowledging God's greatness and by also at the same time confessing our littleness. Notice that that is what Solomon does. He recognizes the greatness of God to have made his father king. He recognizes the greatness of God to let him now be king. But he also recognizes his littleness. Solomon is about 19 years old, maybe 20. Can, do, you th- do you know a 19-year-old? You know, can you imagine him or her being the leader of a great nation? And imagine following after you know, a great king like Solomon and how terrifying that would be to follow in those footsteps. And yet Solomon understood in humbleness that God had called him to do this, and so he had to do it, and he wanted to do it. And so he said, God, God, if you'll give me anything in the world, anything at all, this is what I want, because I'm only 19 years old. In 1 Kings, the parallel passage of this, Solomon says, not only am I just 19 years old, but I'm little, and I don't know what to do. I'm little, and I don't know what to do. That's how he saw himself. Right? And there are times we feel that ourselves. I have little knowledge and I don't know what to do. But if we measure that against God's greatness, then we can have wisdom. For God is great. So we acknowledge that we are little. In James chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I like this verse because it tells us that we have to humble ourselves before God. And God doesn't just force humility on us. God doesn't make us humble. We have to make ourselves humble. We have to humble ourselves before God. And when we do, by recognizing our littleness and God's greatness, then God says, what do you want? And we can ask for it. And this is the key. How do I get wisdom? I ask for it. Of course, I have to ask for it in the right way. I have to ask for it while being humble. I have to ask for it by recognizing I don't know what to do. But I need God's wisdom. I need his discernment. I need knowledge of knowing what to do. Wisdom is a divine gift from God. So just think of something in your life where you need wisdom. Maybe it's in a relationship You know, like raising kids as a parent, you know, they face certain situations and they ask you or you see something happening and you don't know what to do. You say, God, I need wisdom. I don't know what to do. It's something only God can give you. Then he gives you wisdom, okay? And you go, what do I do? Well, that's knowledge. So wisdom is the understanding that something needs to be done and you know what to do. Knowledge is the way to do it. Knowledge is the way and the courage and the actions that we take. In our marriages, think about, we need wisdom. What do I do? We ask God, God, what do I do to minister better to my wife? How do I serve her? And God tells me, okay? I go, oh, I don't like that. You mean spend more time with her? You know, take her out? You know, wash the clothes? Cook? Wash the dishes? Be nice to her? Really? 
But that's knowledge. We need wisdom, yes, the wisdom that is divine and comes from God, but we also need the knowledge and the action to follow up on it and to do it. It's a choice that we have to make. Jesus made that choice in humility. He understood what it was like. He said again in Luke 22, verse 42, not my will, but yours be done. He got the wisdom. God said, go, trust me, and follow me. And it led him to the cross. He had the courage to do what God had asked him to do. He had the wisdom to know what was right and the knowledge to apply it. And that's what we need. And that's what we get when we humble ourselves before God. In James chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, and this is a tremendous promise there. You have it there on your outlines. And, and I really encourage you to remember this verse from James in your life, where you are right now. Let's read it together. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Let's read it out loud. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. God is saying, make sure, make sure that you're asking me in a way that says, when you answer, I will follow. That's what it means by not wavering like those sand, by the sea, sure. Not wavering and saying, well, God, I want to know what to do. Oh, I don't like that. I don't think I'll do it. It is doing what God asks us to do, trusting him, not trusting ourselves. It is asking for the wisdom and the courage and the humility to do what is necessary to do. Wisdom doesn't mean easy. Wisdom means right. And God wants us to do what is right. He wants us to seek what is right. And that's what Solomon does. Once he has asked for this wisdom and God gives it, we understand why he was seeking it, what he was seeking. And God reveals it to us as ourselves as well, that when we ask for the right reasons, he will give it to us when we ask with the right heart. Solomon wanted to seek the good of others. And he wanted to seek the kingdom of God above all things. We read this in First, Second Chronicles Chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. I'll read it and you can follow. God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will ever have. Why did Solomon want wisdom? He says he wanted it for the sake of others. He wanted so that he could rule the people righteously, so that he would have wisdom to know how to answer their questions, to be a good judge and to have a wise heart. And so we know Solomon as the king of wisdom. He wrote these Proverbs, 31 chapters, 
thousand proverbs for us to understand the way to live. He wrote the book, The Song of Solomon, so we would understand love. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, so we would understand the purpose of life and what brings true satisfaction. He wrote so that people would be able to walk with God and have their lives in a place where they themselves would say, yes, you know what, this is why I was born. This is why I'm here. Solomon say, I was here and I was placed here in this place as the king of the greatest country of the world so that I could serve them so that they could know God and walk with God. And that's why we are here. We are here so that we would know wisdom every day and know that God is with us and know God's blessing in what we do and know that what we do is helping other people and also at the same time preparing ourselves and others to live in the kingdom of God forever. This is what God wants. And God can do it wherever you are in whatever profession you have as a student, as a stay-at-home mom, as a worker, God can use you in ways that will bless other people and will change their lives and will change their lives, not just now, but forever. Jesus, again, the personification of wisdom. And he said it in Matthew chapter 6, 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and God will give you everything you need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you. Now think back again to the things that you want to get, to the place where you need wisdom. And Jesus says, if you need wisdom, and if you want it, then come to me. And seek me. Seeking the king is seeking the kingdom. Okay? So seeking Jesus is seeking the kingdom. So when you say, God, I want to know what is your will, you are seeking what is in God's kingdom. And God wants us then to live with knowledge. And he will let us know what is right to do. And then when we do what is right, that is wisdom. And that is what honors God as we seek to bless and to serve other people. And we seek what is best for God and his kingdom. Now, there are times in our lives like Solomon had. I mean, this was a real upper in his life. You know, he had taken the people. He was humble. He was young. I mean, you know, the, the power of youthfulness in him. And here he was, be the richest man in all the world, now the wisest man in all the world. And God says, I'm going to continue to do this for you, all right? I'm going to continue to do this for you. However, there is a condition. And that's when we go into um, 1 Kings chapter 3. And we see that there's something very important about wisdom. And something that is so important for us to also apply as we want wisdom in our lives. Because there is a condition applied to wisdom. There's a condition attached to the maintaining of wisdom. And so we read it here in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And I'll read it, and you can follow along. And so this is what would happen after the end of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 1, verse 12. So this is then what we read in 1 Kings 3. 
So God is saying to Solomon, and if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. So let's look at this for a moment and see what God is saying. God is saying to Solomon, if there's a condition. And we read in James, it says, if any man wants wisdom, he must ask of God. And Solomon has said from the very beginning, get wisdom. In other words, there's something we have to do. We have to choose it. And so here, what we are learning from God and from the life of Solomon is that not only do we ask for this one time, not only is there a great moment of humility, not only is there a time where God seems to reach down and life is so full and we are so ready to follow him, but this is something that God says we must do all the time and continually, regardless of how we feel. And so the fourth point here for us to get wisdom is that we must continually consider the rewards and consequences before we act. To continually consider the rewards and consequences before we act. You know, that's something that I think we say to our children a lot, right? When they do something, and and as parents we think, well, that was really dumb, right? You know? And so we say, why didn't you think before you acted, right? But, you know, sometimes we scold ourselves as well. You know, we do something dumb, And we go, oh, why didn't I think first? If I just thought before I acted, I wouldn't be in this problem. Right? And this is what God is saying to us, too. And to the young people here, you know, if you think yourself young people, then this is for you, all right? He's like, think before you act. Why? Because the consequence is either going to be reward or sorrow. Think before you act. Because the consequence of what you're about to do is either going to bring you reward or sorrow. There's no middle ground. And if you have felt sorrow, as I have had so many times, there's so many sins that I wish I had thought before I acted. Ethical sins that I've done moral sins that I've done, things that I am utterly ashamed of. And I I still think of them at times, and I shudder. And I'm so thankful, and we all together can be thankful, that no matter what sin we've ever, ever done, it is forgiven because of Jesus Christ. It is absolutely taken away from us and forgiven. And God will redeem it. Because now it becomes wisdom to us. Wisdom of how to live. Wisdom of how to give. And God will redeem the things that we have done that we shouldn't have done by letting us learn from them. You know, pain is not a bad thing if it leads us to do and to teach others that they might not experience that pain in their life. God wants us to know that there is a continuation of the need for wisdom all the time. God wanted to give Solomon a long life. I'm 59 years old. 
Okay. I don't know if I'm proud of that or not, but at least I'm still standing. Okay. Um, Solomon died when he was 59. Okay. So he lived 40. He was 19 when he was king. The Bible says that he served 40 years and then he died. But why did he die at that time? The Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 11 that he had 700 wives. Now that'll kill you, right? <laughs> All right. Or 700 husbands, so, all right. You know, I remember talking to a man, we were doing a Bible study, or we were talking about, um, you know, bigamy in the Bible, and why does God allow it? And he goes, I don't understand, you know. He goes, you know, why would anybody want two wives? I can't even handle one, you know. Um, but here, Solomon had 700 wives, and, and he had 300 concubines, okay? We were talking about that. I, got, I was wondering, like, does he even know their names, right? And then it says that these wives turned his heart to other gods. And his heart was no longer devoted to the Lord as his father's heart, David, as David, his father's heart had been. And so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. And then Solomon died. He didn't get the promise. He didn't live it out. But that doesn't have to be true for you or for me. Please know absolutely the power of God's love and his forgiveness. The grace that allows me to stand before you because God has forgiven me. The grace for you to be here today to hear these words because God wants to say, I love you so much that I will not only forgive your sins, I will treat you as though I have forgotten them. They no longer need to be a burden to you. But walk in my ways. Continually consider every act that we do. Again, young people, what a great, great lesson to learn. That every action that you do, every choice that you make, will have either a reward or a consequence that we don't like. God wants us to be wise. And he wants us to know that this wisdom is in the love of God and that we continue to maintain it as we walk with God. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I've loved you. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. I've kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. God wants you to know joy. God wants us to know the joy of walking with him, the joy of being daily connected to him, of continuing with him, of knowing the daily reward of knowing his presence in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says this. And if you would look to the very back of your outline, um, for this series, for, for Ecclesiastes as well, I'm going to give you a, a weekly meditation that you can do when you go home. Okay? But this can serve also as our communion meditation for today. Okay? So I want you to um, please read these verses with me, and we're going to read them um, nice and slow. And I want you just to consider them. Because this is what Paul wants us to know, what real wisdom is. This is what God wants us to know. Let's read it out loud together. 
Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we treat Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the power of God. He is the power of God for your life right now to give you strength and wisdom. He is the wisdom of God right now for you to know what to do. Turn to him. Let him be your leader. Let him be your Lord. Trust him knowing that he loves you and that his forgiveness of you is absolutely complete and full. There's nothing you can do that Jesus would say, you know, if you do this, I'll love you more. Or if you do this, I'll forgive you because he's already done that. All we need to do is get Jesus. And this is what communion is for us today. For those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, there was a time where we got Jesus. We understood. We got wisdom. And we received it and we accepted it. And today, this is our opportunity for those of us who have done that to remember it and to reestablish this connection with him. And Jesus says, I want you to be staying with me all the time, so do this all the time, continually. Remember me when you eat this bread. How many of us want to be remembered after we're dead? Jesus did. He wanted us to remember his life and his death for us. He also wanted us to remember that he had victory over the grave. That is the promise of our ultimate forgiveness. He also wanted us to remember his blood. He wanted us to remember that this is the forgiveness of our sins. And as we drink it, there is nothing that you or I have ever done that this blood cannot and will not forgive. It is absolutely promised of God that to the believer as we take this bread and we take this cup, we are proclaiming that Jesus has forgiven me, that I have wisdom. And this then gives us joy and hope. For those of you here maybe who, who haven't done that yet, I so encourage you to make this step of the wisest thing you could ever do, which would be to get Jesus today. Get wisdom. And say, Lord Jesus, I do believe in you. Maybe only a little bit, but I believe. I have this seed, this little mustard seed. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died on the cross. And I want your forgiveness. And I believe that you are real. And I want to live with you forever in heaven because this life is so short. And I want to live for that eternal life. And so, Lord Jesus, today, I give my life to you. 
to follow you and to trust you as best as I can, but oh, how I need your help. And so I take this bread and I take this juice as a symbol of my expression of need for you and of my desire to trust you. And so I take because you love me and I need you. And he says, welcome. I do. I will. And we will be together today and always. We'll have some time for you to prepare your heart as we partake in communion. Spend some time maybe meditating there on the verse, Jesus, the power of God and the wisdom of God to each of us. Let us pray. And with the ushers, please come forward. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You are so wise, so powerful, so loving, so forgiving, so gracious. Lord, we are so little, so small, so inexperienced, and so needy. But here you are, and you say, come, come and get wisdom. Come and get understanding. Come to Jesus and receive his grace and his forgiveness, his love and his power, his presence and his joy. So, Lord, in obedience to your word, we come. Amen.